0: The following sermon was preached at Redeemer Church in Tombaugh, Texas. For more information, go to makingmuchofjesus.org. Good morning. Um, I'm still pretty jet-lagged. I came on Friday, and uh, I'm still trying to figure out what day it is. I think it's Sunday. And... uh, but I realize that all of you just lost an hour of sleep, so we're all kind of jet-lagged together. So if I see you on, I'll have grace for you. If I completely blank out on something, just have a little grace for me this morning. I, uh, during the first service, I completely forgot a word in English, and it took me a few seconds to figure it out. So just, just, just bear with me, all right? Just bear with me. Um, it's, it's, uh, before we start with the word, I just want to say it's such a joy to be here. Uh, for missionaries, one of their favorite things to do is come home. And uh, I'm not from Houston. I'm I'm from Pennsylvania, actually. But uh, to come home and be with Americans, to be worshiping in English, uh, all of this is just such a blessing. Uh, Thailand doesn't have a lot of Christians, and um, that's one thing that always kind of kind of bugs you as you're just feeling like, man, we're out here all alone. So just come and to be part of God's family here, it's such a blessing. And to know that you've got good, godly people backing you is an encouragement. So thank you. One of the things that I love about Redeemer and all the people that I've met at Redeemer is that whenever, whatever you do, whatever you're trying to do or trying to work on or preach about or get people to learn, the one thing you want people to walk away with is God's grace. Like you don't want people to walk out the door not understanding or not like getting a glimpse of what God, how God loves them and all the things that he's done. And even the worship this morning was all about what Jesus has done for us. And that just warms my heart because in all my years in ministry, uh, I've been in Thailand for 11 years, the thing that always disappears, no matter where you are in the world, is God's grace. People walk away from it so quickly in churches, outside of the churches or whatever, and it all becomes about rules and legalism or all those different things. And so it's so important to hang on to it. And that's why it's so refreshing for me to come here and just be here all again about how we're all loving God's grace. And that does something to us. It does something to us when we get reminded. Even though we, we know it, we hear about it, we come on Sunday mornings to get reminded about all the things Jesus did for us. Because it really just changes everything. It really does change everything to know how much God has done for us. So what I'd like, what I'd like you to do this morning is... I'd like you to turn to your neighbor. I'm from Thailand. We do a lot of interactive stuff when we preach and stuff. So just give me some grace there. Turn to your neighbor. Tell What is your favorite thing about God's grace? Because there's a lot going on that God has done for us. So turn to, them. Turn to somebody and tell them, what is your favorite thing about God's grace? For me, the... Uh, the thing that's been hitting home lately, there, you know, there's so many things that God did through Jesus dying on the cross. Uh, we're adopted, we're reconciled, we're justified, all these different things. It's pretty amazing. The one that's been sticking out to me lately is that now in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Right? There's no condemnation. And I was reading about freedom, and, and uh, I'm American, by the way, just in case anybody forgets. I'm American, and even though I've been in Thailand for 11 years. And uh, one of the things that Americans love is freedom, right? But when you go out of the country and you see different places, you kind of start to get, your own, get a different perspective on your own culture. And uh, I realized that we have a very specific definition of freedom, but there's, there's a lot more to freedom than just what we Americans tend to think of. And that verse made me realize that there's something else about freedom that we have in Christ is that we are free from shame and blame. And we're free from blame. Like nobody can stand up and say that person has done this. I mean, we we still sin, we still mess up and things like that. But in Jesus Christ, there's no more blame. Like that that is so freeing and refreshing. God's grace is good. God's grace is good. So this morning we're going to look at uh, another aspect of God's grace uh, from the writings of Paul. So it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses 5 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And so I always struggle with teaching from Paul because I, I work in Thailand and a lot of my time was spent with some rural people that generally had a sixth grade education. So they're not really ready for Paul yet. Now Paul is a scholar. He's got really bad grammar. You know, like you read it and you're like, that doesn't even make sense, Paul. Uh, you have to sit there and kind of like figure it all out. Like just, man, give me a parable of Jesus. Give me something that's about agriculture. That's something that's way easier to preach on for my context. So I felt like God really wanted. God's been teaching me through this passage, and really wanted me to share. But I was like, "Oh man, Paul! So let's let's work together at it." All right, I get it. It's Paul. He's on another level than most of us. But we're gonna we're gonna try to figure it out this morning. So the very first part, the very first uh, two verses, is uh, verses five and six. Paul says, "For what we preach is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, the God who said." Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus, in the face of Christ. That's way too many prepositions. Now, if you're an English teacher, you'd be like, ah, pulling out your red pen, ready to like write all this stuff off and change things. So that's what happens when you translate for another language. It doesn't make much sense. But let's try to see if we can figure out. Let's, let's look at verse six a little. Well, first five. For we preach, what we preach is not ourselves. Paul is talking about Service. He's talking about service, ministry. He's talking about how we, how we serve other people. And what Paul's about to do, he's about to get us to realize what service is really about because so often we so easily get it wrong. We see it as a should, we see it as this thing that we should do. And this is all over the world. This is in Thailand, this is in America, it's everywhere. Like actress and actress, oh, I should, I should give a lot of money. I have a lot, so I should give a lot. And I'll, it'll help me look good, it'll help my PR reputation or whatever so they give some money. Or in Thailand, it's all about uh, making merit. You know, like, I got to do something good to kind of justify the bad stuff. And I'll try to even it out or maybe get better or something like that. And we're always doing service or good works for the wrong reasons. And Paul wants to correct that. And so what we preach is not ourselves, but it's Jesus Christ. And ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of the darkness. Has, light, has his light shine in our hearts. He's trying to take us all the way back to the beginning where God made the world. And he's saying that God who was able to make nothing or make something out of nothing is now putting that light in your hearts. He's trying to get us to realize another aspect of God's grace. He's saying that the God, the transcendent God that scientists have not been able to figure out, we have not been able to figure out how God made something out of nothing. No one can do that except him. That God is living in your hearts. And John, it says that the Father comes and makes his abode. He makes his home in your heart. In your heart. Yeah, God loves all mankind, but he loves you. And he makes his home in you. And he's the transcendent God that made all the, the amazing things in this universe. That is remarkable. That is unbelievable. It's one of the Christian beliefs that are... That's unbelievable. We still have a hard time grasping that sometimes. I spent my entire Christian life trying to make that sink deeper and deeper inside of me. And he's saying, that's what's going on here. That's what's going on. That's how he starts his talk about service. Um, I, forgot, I forgot something, so let me... I uh, you know, Redeemer has been supporting our ministry for years now, and uh, I just wanted to say thank you, so I thought I'd buy, buy a gift, and I can't buy a gift for all of you guys. If I did that, you'd start to wonder what I'm doing with your money. So I, uh, I just bought one gift, this nice special pot from Thailand, and um, I bought this in Thailand brought it all the way over, I'm thankful it made it, and uh, I'm going to give this to Jeff, and I'm, I'm thinking he'll put it on his desk in his office, and so whenever he meets with somebody, they'll be like, whoa, nice pot, and then he can tell them about Thailand, and all the things you guys have been doing and partnering there. And um, now you're either, you're either thinking two things. You're either sitting in the back, you're squinting, you're trying, like, I don't see what's so special about that pot. I'm obviously too far away. Or you're sitting here in the front going, I knew it. Missionaries are weird. <laughs> all right? You're thinking, they've been way overseas way too long, buddy. Time to come back. Time to come back to reality a bit. All right. I did buy this in Thailand, but it, it looks like something you could buy at Home Depot or something. And this is kind of my point is that these pots, terracotta or whatever they're called, you can buy them anywhere. And it cost me 10 cents. In Thailand, it probably cost me 10 cents here. There must be millions or billions of these pots in the world. They're common. They're unbelievably common. And this is kind of how I feel and probably how you feel about serving God. Like, I'm not special, Okay, I'm unique. Okay, but I'm not extraordinary. I don't have all these giftings and stuff that that Greg guy must have. He's been in Thailand for eleven years. Look at all these sacrifices. He's learned a language. He can do all this stuff. He's ama- He must be amazing, right? That's what you're. That's what we tend to think about missionaries. I don't feel that way. I feel like this. I really feel like this. And I'm guessing how you feel when we talk about serving God and serving others and. You hear stories about missionaries that have done these amazing things or pastors and you're thinking, I'm not that. I'm not a special pot. I am a clay pot, All right? And we're reading from Paul and Paul's one of those guys who are like, he's totally amazing. I mean, he wrote the Bible. Right? You don't get any more amazing than that, right? Unless you're Jesus. So he wrote the Bible. He must be amazing. But if you look at your next verse, Paul is feeling exactly like we are. But we have this treasure, Right, let me see. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So the amazing, this is what Paul's trying to say. Like with God's grace, he's inside you. He's living inside you. And yes, we are serving others. But the whole point of that is not so that people see us, but so that you'll see God. Service is a response to God's grace. So if we really grasp it, we start to grasp it. Sorry, you can't really grasp God's grace. It's, it's too huge. But when we really start to grasp it. The natural reaction is, gosh, this is so amazing. I should, I should tell somebody or I should do something about it or I should just naturally do this. It should never be a should. It should never be like something like, oh, I, I should, I'm supposed to do that. It should be like a natural reaction of like, let me tell somebody else and let it show for my life. And that's what Paul's talking about here is that we're just jars of clay we're just jars of clay. And what's the purpose of a jar? It's to display something. It's to hold something where you put it somewhere so other people can see it. You're putting something else on display. You're not putting yourself on display. So the first point that Paul's trying to say is God uses ordinary people to reach ordinary people. Uh, I'm, I'm not that special, guys. I'm really not. I, I'm, I'm really not much different than any of you. But God has been able to do some amazing things by me living in Thailand. And I'm I'm still blown away by it. I'm still amazed at what God's been able to do just by my traveling across the world. And so we serve, we're trying to connect with people, we're trying to meet with people because we want them not to notice us, but we want them to notice what's inside. And that's all we gotta do. That's all we gotta do is we gotta find a way to connect with people. And when we do that, this is what happens. Verse eight, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Gosh, what a downer. You're like, and all of you are thinking, yeah, I'm a missionary, I'm talking about sacrifice and service and all that kind of stuff. And I, honestly, I read it, and I was like, Ugh. This is boring. Not boring, but this is like just like pessimistic, right? Then I read it again, and then I read it again, and then I read it again, and I finally got what Paul's talking about. Let's read it again. We are hard pressed. Look out in your Bibles if you've got them, or your, your smartphone, whatever you've got. We're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We will always carry around the death of. Uh, in our bodies the death of Jesus, but so that the life of Jesus will be revealed in our bodies. Paul is trying to say, what is Paul trying to say? Paul is trying to say, service is sacrifice, but the sacrifice leads to life. And we know this is true for us. It's Jesus' sacrifice that did it for us. But the other thing we gotta understand is that, yeah, serving, it sounds good. And it sounds good when we tell other people, like, hey, I'm a missionary in Thailand. It sounds great. When I fly to Thailand, I'm like, gosh, what am I doing can I do this? Am I good enough to do this? Am I, is this going to be, what is this going to be? And it ends up being hard and all those types of things. But and then I realize that this service is bringing life. And that's something we've got to hang on to. And that's something that Paul's telling us. Like, yeah, it's going to be hard, but life will be there. Life is going to come out of this. Life is going to come out of your service to other people. So how does this work in Thailand? All right, Thailand's very different than Houston And uh, how does it work there? How do we connect with people? How do we be clay pots in Thailand so they can see the treasures? Well, there's some really interesting things about Thailand that make it very difficult. There's been, do you know that there's been missionaries in Thailand for 150 years? That's a long time. And that makes me ask the question, like, do I really need to go to Thailand? They've obviously had the gospel for a long time. Well, the problem is that there's still less, after 150 years of missionary service, good missionary service, there's still less than 1% Christian. And something's going on there. And there's, it's interesting, Thailand is a, is a place where it's not just all one people group. And there's lots of different ethnic groups and stuff like that, so it's pretty diverse. And there's ethnic groups that are uh, tribal groups. They tend to live up in the mountains and they've worshipped spirits and stuff. They're not Buddhist. And those people, some of those groups are like 50% Christian now. So, the, the, so you've got this really crazy thing happening where some of the ethnic groups are just loving Jesus, just have absolute joy in finding uh, freedom in Jesus. And they're now sending missionaries to China, to Laos, to Vietnam. And then you've got the Thai people who are just absolutely not responding to the gospel at all. And it's just kind of, what is going on here? And one, I don't have time to explain all of it, but one of the reasons is, is that Buddhism is higher religion than Christianity. All right? they, they, that's the way they see it. I don't think that, obviously. But they see it that way. And uh, they're looking at, like, as Christians, like, oh, yeah, you, you still believe there's a God. Pfft, you guys are so old-fashioned. Like, come to the new way. Right, we don't believe in like, God, and we have peace and stuff like that. That's, that's obviously. So they're looking, at, they're looking down on us. And so it's kind of like, why are they going to step back? It's, it seems that way. The other, the other big thing, and that's really hard for us uh, Westerners to kind of grasp, is that it's not a personal decision to become a Christian to them. Like, your, your own religion, that's not your choice. I mean, that's something your family chooses. That's something your community chooses. And so when you do evangelism in Thailand, you, 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 may, it's, it's, you don't try to do the uh, personal like one-on-one kind of thing. You've got to think broadly than that. Because as soon as somebody becomes a believer, if there's nobody else in their family, in their community, they're a believer, it's like they've lost everything. And they're not going to get persecuted like happens in some of the Islamic countries that you hear about and stuff. But they'll get shunned. They can't be a part of anything. And so it's sort of like, why, why would I become a Christian? I'm Buddhism's great. It meets all my needs that I have. And I've got a family. You're asking me to give up something that's not going to offer anything to me. Why would I do that? And so that's why after 150 years, we still have so few Christians in Thailand. And so when I, when I, when I'm in Thailand, I tell people, oh, I work with a Thai Buddhist, uh, the, the, Christians, the missionaries, they all look at me. And I always get the same response in, in Thai. They say, Oh, but yak," yak. that means difficult. Like that's, that's so difficult. They don't, they're not going to come to Jesus. Why are you wasting your time with them? Like You should go work with the hill tribes and stuff. So that's the context that I'm in. That's the context that I'm trying to serve in and I'm trying to shine in. And it's, it's difficult. It's challenging. So I can really relate to this passage, what Paul's talking about. But I can also relate to the fact that Paul has all those buts in there, right? So the, one of them is hard-pressed and not crushed. One of the ways that we've found is a great way to, to connect with people because I, I'm not a, I, I'm kind of like a g- g- gregarious right now, but that's only when I'm speaking in front of people. Like after the service, you'll see me hiding in a corner and I'm kind of introverted and stuff like that. And I'm not the kind of guy that's going to go knock on doors and all those types of things. And so, and the, that's not really good for evangelism anyway in Thailand. And so you need a way to connect with people. And when I meet people on the street, it's usually like, oh, you're American. Is it, is it cold in America? Like, yeah. Do you have snow? Yeah. Do you like spicy Thai food? Yeah. And like that's all the deeper it ever goes. you know. It's really hard to connect. But there's an amazing thing going on in Thailand right now. And one of their huge needs revolves around education. And I never, ever thought that I would become a teacher in a school. But I'm actually the teacher and principal of an international school now. And that was not, I was like, I'm there to be with the Thai people. I don't want to be in an international community where I'm teaching in English and all that kind of stuff. I'm a real missionary, right? That's what you're thinking. And being at this international school has all of a sudden given me all these opportunities to share the gospel. I never thought about it before, but there's a huge crisis in Thailand now with education. And everybody's really disappointed with their public education, their local schools and stuff like that. So they all want to get them in different schools. And so I've got people coming to me going, please take my child and teach them. And it's an international Christian school. And I meet with these people and I say, I'm going to teach your kid the Bible. I'm going to teach them why Jesus is the best way. Ever, and they're going to learn character from Jesus. They're going to learn how I'm a science teacher. They're going to learn how science and the Bible interact and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, "Great, take my child, do that, please." This is a Buddhist saying that and I'm like, "What?" This is, but they're so desperate for education that not only teaches knowledge but does teach character. They're like, "Please teach them about Jesus, whatever it takes," because Thai kids these days are terrible. This is amazing opportunity. So here's one of them. Boom. his parents, they're a wealthy family. They own a lot of gas. In uh, our area, our city, and uh, Thai families, you know, the wealthy Thai families, kind of like wealthy American families, it's all about how it looks, it's all about show. And they wanted their son to go to a, an English speaking school because that's kind of prestigious, and then they go study in America one day and all this stuff. Well, Poom, after being around all of our Christian teachers who are there loving on those kids and serving them and seeing they're being jars of clay to these kids, and he saw that. And he, he became a Christian. He said, this is worth it. I'm going to make this change. And it's been really difficult for him. I was asking him, like, what's it like when you, like, at school, okay, it's, it's easy to be a Christian, but then you go home with your family and they have ceremonies and all this kind of stuff. What's it?" He goes, it's hard. It's really hard. And I, I feel for him. It's hard. He's hard-pressed. He he's like, because he's not growing up in a Christian family. He's like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be a Christian and attend a Buddhist funeral. Like, there's stuff I have to do when I go there. And I don't know if I'm offending God when I, I'm not just, I'm trying to honor my parents and and honor God at the same time. And it's tricky. And I said, yeah, well, so like, what do you, how do you manage that? And he's like, honestly, I just, I figure God loves me. And so if I mess up, he still loves me. (laughs) Like he's, I'm just trying to honor my parents. And so he's like, yeah, sometimes I'm sitting there with incense in my hands and I'm doing something I'm like this is weird, but uh, God loves me. And uh, I hope this is working out. And I talked to his parents. So I'm like, you doing all right with your son and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, you know, he, he's a man He's, I mean, he's a senior now, so he's a man who is honoring us, and he is pursuing his passions, he's a hard worker, his character is great, so if that's what Jesus did for him, then we are fine with that, and uh, what a great witness, and now, Poom has to do his senior project at the end, uh, before they graduate, they all have to do this community service project, and uh, I was expecting Poom would do something that his parents would find prestigious or look good or something like that. He goes, you know, honestly, I just want to go and love on kids. That's what they did for me at the school. And that's what I want to do. I just want to go love on kids. And so I, of course, the missionary hooked him up with a a church planner who's in this other Buddhist community. He's going to go. And I think he's going in, uh, I think it's this upcoming weekend. He's actually going to go and do this. And I'm just so thankful. He's, he is this now. He is a jar of clay that's out there just doing what he can to shine for Jesus Christ. And uh, very thankful. God is good. There's another family. It's not just students that we're affecting, but it's also their parents as well. So this is a father and son. Uh, the father's name is Amon, and the son's name's Mon. And uh, Am- Amon is an architect, okay? So he's pretty educated, pretty influential in our city. And he really wanted his son to get a good education, so he came to us, and he applied to go to our school. And the problem was, we didn't have a place. It wasn't, it wasn't anything with his son. It was just that we didn't have a, a spot in the classroom. And uh, so Amon was, oh, gosh, I can't get into this school. And so he's like, well, okay. And so, he, so he's talking to he, he met with me as the principal. He's meeting with me, and he's like, okay, well, I'm explaining the situation. He goes, hey, your "No, son, your son's great. He's, got, he's, got, he's ready. He's got some English. He's ready to come in. And he's like, well, is there any, just let me know if there's anything I could do and I'm talking to him, and, and when you're talking in another language, sometimes you, you don't pick up on nuances, right? So he's like, just let me know if there's anything I can do. Okay. I'm like, well, you already filled out the forms. I don't think there's anything else we need you to do. You just kind of need to wait for a spot to open up, and we'll call you. And he's like, no, no, no. Let me know if there's, if there's any way that I could help, you know? And, and I'm like, um, no, I, I'm just totally not getting it. And he's finally like laying it out to me in simple ties. He's like, let me know if I could buy anything for the school. Oh, you're trying to bribe me. I get it now. Okay. <laughs> And it kind of clicked because in Thai schools there are always they, you have to bribe to get your kid into like a good school and stuff like that, and uh, that's what he's trying to do. And I was just kind of like, oh man, this is funny. Like, no, you don't need to do that. Please don't do that. Just wait. When a spot opens up, we'll we'll call you. And now uh, he's like, all right. And I could tell he wasn't satisfied. So a couple days later, I get a letter in the mail, and I'm I'm like read It's all in Thai, and so I, I'm I'm still like like struggling to read it. It's very formal and stuff like that. And I realize it's from the director of the International Airport of Chiang Rai. So obviously a very influential person is sending me a letter and I'm like, why is this person sending me a letter? And he's talking, he's sort of like recommending a student and I finally figure out it's Mon, it's this kid. And so I'm on had obviously he called his buddy and was like, I need you to put some pressure on this school. I need you to, you know, just kind of put your influence in there and if they know that you're kind of recommending my son and so I just thought it was funny so I like kept it, I had to like show people and stuff. I was like, I got a letter from the director of the International Airport. And uh, so obviously that didn't work. So then he moved it to another step. He met with me again. And he had this uh, folded piece of paper like in an envelope with like a letter. And he's like, I have this letter uh, from the Pua of Chiang Rai. And the Pua is like a, kind of like a governor in a sense. He's like, and he's saying that he wants my son. And then I'm like, I'm like, okay. And uh, like, like, and he goes, don't make me use this. <laughs> and he said that. And I'm just like, it's, it's becoming almost a joke to me, all this stuff that he's trying. So that, that didn't work either. So then, because I'm just like, just please, just wait. Like, just, just wait. We'll get your kid in the school, and he'll get it on his own merits. Like, he's, he's got his own gifting and skills. He made it into the school. We just need to wait for a place for him. Well, he wasn't satisfied, and so then, he's not a Christian, but he, he kind of had that mentality of the widow and the judge, if you know that parable. So he started calling me every week. Every Friday, I get a phone call. And this is how we go. He'd be like, hey, Greg. I'm like, hi. And he'd be like, do you have a place for my son yet? Nope. He goes, okay, I'll call you next week. And uh, for a year, he called me, every Friday for a year. So finally, we get a spot. And at this point, me and the, the, other, uh, the, other, the other guy that helps run the school, another missionary, are kind of like, do we really want this guy in our school? Uh, uh, not, not the kid, but do we want the dad to be a part of this community? Like, obviously, he's, he's trying all this stuff. Is it going to get worse when he gets to the school? Like, that's something we have to be worried about. But at the same time, we, we don't want to judge a kid based on the parents' actions. So we're like, all right, let's just do it. And uh, so we let the kid in the school and the dad comes up to me and he starts talking to me. I'm like really confused about what he's talking about because I just was expecting another bribe or something. I just wasn't sure what to expect. And he's saying, you and Brent, I just, what? What do you have that's so different? That's what he said. He said, I was trying to get my kid in this school and you guys are so different. You wouldn't let me do all that stuff. I want to know what you have and I want that. I want to be a man like you guys are. A man of character. is basically what he was saying. And so, Obviously, we started just telling about Jesus, and now I'm on has a Bible study at the school every week he 's a believer his son 's a believer, and uh, he 's serving the lord and now our schools we 're having some trouble there 's a there 's actually a highway coming through our school the government is building a highway through our school, and so we have to like rebuild and stuff like that and he 's an architect and he 's like i 'm there i 'm going to do this for you guys and he 's serving uh, through that way it 's just completely free the school 's not playing him uh, paying him and so the obviously The sacrifice is leading to life in this man's life. And it's totally one of these. I wasn't sitting there going, oh, I better not accept this bribe because I want to be a light for Christ. Like, it just didn't even occur to me what was really going on. I'm just a jar of clay that's sitting there. I had something shining out of me. I had no idea that it was really shining to that point, you know? Amazing. But it's not just at the school that God's working. Uh, We also live in a Buddhist village and uh, there's a lot of like rice farmers and and things like that and we're just really trying to to get them to understand the gospel. And I've, I've found that things work better if I don't do evangelism. And that, that's really weird to say, I know, and don't, don't freak out about it. But uh, as, a, as a white person, if I'm going up to the Thai people and I'm like, like telling them the gospel and stuff, and I do do that, but often the response I get is, well, of course you can be Christian. You're a furang. That's what they call white people, a furang. They call us all that. And they're like, look, you're American. You're supposed to be Christian. Because in their minds, all Americans are Christians. And uh, they're like, but I'm Thai. I have to be Buddhist. Like, I can't do that. So I've really found that me doing evangelism isn't all that effective in that way. But the thing that I found was really effective is if I, if I can find a Thai church that I can partner with, and I live in a Buddhist community, and I open up doors and stuff like that for the Thai church, and that's how this community was. They were very resistant to any kind of Christians and stuff. But after we were able to live there, because they do like teachers from America, they give us a certain amount of respect, even though they don't think that they want to be Christian, Uh, we were able to open the doors and wherever we would do, whatever we would do, we'd always bring the Thai Christians with us. And that's where the cool things happen because all of a sudden, they're having like a a crisis, a worldview crisis because when I bring in a Thai Christian, they're like, wait a minute, you're Thai and you're Christian? How does that work? And they're seriously asking that question and really want an answer. What a great question to ask. And, And the Thais all of a sudden have this great opportunity to do evangelism to people that are really listening I mean, wouldn't it wouldn't be great if an American would come up to you, and be like, "Wait, how are you American and Christian?" Like, wow, what an open door! But nobody's going to ask you that, right? But that's how it works in Thailand. And so, all of a sudden, now uh, by me being in this Buddhist village, my, me and my family were living there. All of a sudden, we're seeing that this village that would persecute or kind of like push things away. All of a sudden, now we're seeing that people are coming to know the Lord. And this is one of the families that has this is a mother and son. Uh, Tiam is the mother, and Suradet is the son. And so with all these Christian Buddhist interactions that we're having now, this is what happened. She was selling some stuff in the market and uh, she noticed this one lady who names John, uh, she was looking at her. She felt like, you're looking at me, you're staring at me. and this, She's very self-conscious and stuff like that. And she's like, she must be looking at me because I'm like a single mom with a, with a grown son who's still living with me or whatever. So it was bugging her so much. She went up to John, the, the Christian, and she said to her, why are you staring at me? <laughs> why are you staring at me? And John was like, whoa, I didn't even, I didn't even know I was looking at you. I wasn't sorry. And, but John, the cool thing about John is that she is an evangelist. She is totally gifted and can turn anything into a conversation about Jesus. And so she was able to take that and all of a sudden turn into a conversation about Jesus. And they got talking and stuff. And then they got talking about dreams. And, and uh, Tim was like, yeah, I've been having this really weird dream lately. I was, I have this dream where I'm walking down this path on each side. There's like two pits and there's people in the pits and they're trying to grab me and pull me down in there. But at the end of the path, there's this doorway, but the door's starting to close, and there's a man in white in that doorway saying, come on, come on. But the door's starting to close, and I'm trying to get there, but people are grabbing me. And so John's like, you need to, I need to tell you about Jesus. Like, man. And so, and then she's like, come meet my pastor. And so they're all like having this meeting, they're talking about it. And the pastor pulls out the smartphone, pulls up a picture of Jesus, you know, a like blue-haired, brown-eyed Jesus, right? Like, and it's just like, it's, TM was, that's him. That's the guy from my dream. And we're just, like, nobody's expecting that. We're clay pots sitting there. We're praying for people and all this stuff, but God's obviously doing stuff. God's obviously making his things known. So she, so the pastor's like, well, well, do you have family? Let's call your whole family together. Let's talk about this some more. And she's like, well, I just have a son. And so they, they call Suradet in. And Suradet listens to the whole story of the dream and, you know, about the gospel and all this kind of stuff. He's like, I mean, this would be the equivalent of like, cool. I'll believe, and his mom was even like, "Whoa, like what's going on here?" And uh, and they're they're funny. Thai people are funny. They have like this this thing with percentages. So they'll they'll say like, "Well, I'm I'm like 90% Christian." It doesn't mean that they're like uh, syncretistic or like half Buddhist, half Christian or whatever. It means like I'm not quite there yet, but I'm almost there where I'm ready to commit or whatever. So Surit was like, "I'm 100%. I am 100% Christian," and his mom hadn't really quite. She was like more like on the 80 side, and she was like, "Whoa, my son! He's just like." he's Christian, like, I better make sure I I do this now, so she's like, okay, me too, and so, so now in this Buddhist community, we've got this family, we've got a bunch of others, and they're starting a new church, in God's eyes, it's already a church, you know, it's a group of people getting together and stuff like that, but the Thai church now has been able to start this new church, and it's it's wonderful, it's a beautiful thing that's happening, despite the fact that the, the typical Thai response to everything, God's moving despite that and moving and planning this church there. And we're so excited to see that life coming out of the time and the energy and the service that we put into that community. Um, perplexed but not in despair. This is my family. Uh, my wife, Corinne, and my three kids. I have Jonesy, Robbie, and Jalen. Uh, Jonesy's nine, Robbie's seven, and Jalen's almost three. Um, they were all born in, Th- Robbie was born in America, but two weeks later we went back to Thailand. So they, Thailand's home for them. Uh, Jonesy tells people all the time, he's like, no, I'm Thai. I'm Thai. Uh, I'm not American. I'm Thai. I can't get him to understand. Like, no, you are American. You, you have a citizenship from your parents. And he's like, no, no, I'm Thai. So it's like, okay. Uh, they keep us busy. Uh, life's interesting in Thailand when you got three kids for sure. The uh, uh, six years ago, we were living in a village, and uh, Thailand's in the tropics, and it's got a lot of parasites. Okay, so when you're eating, you can get like worms. You can really get worms. It's just kind of a part of life there. And so we regularly will take uh, worm medicine every six months or so. But because my boys are so close in age, there was a time for about three years when my wife was either pregnant or nursing, and you can't take the medicine because it'll affect the baby. It'll have bad effects on the baby. And so it turned out, we didn't know, but she started getting headaches and things like that, and she almost passed out one day because the headaches were so bad, and we took her to the hospital, and they said, maybe we should do a CT scan since you don't have a history of bad headaches. Uh, They took a CT scan, and there was a tapeworm in her brain and so what happened was because the time went so long, usually the tapeworms are in your stomach, uh, and they but they lay eggs and they can get in your blood and they'll go find a place that's, where there's lots of nutrition and obviously your brain, brain is a good place. And so we're freaking out, obviously, but the Thai doctors were like, we've you know this is kind of common here, so don't panic. We just take some medicine, you'll be all right. And so we had everybody praying and uh, in churches in America praying all that stuff. And so she took the medicine, she was fine. We were so happy. Uh, God was good. It was a, we felt like it was a miracle. God answered our prayers. Well, just two years ago, um, my wife, we were in America. We were up in Pennsylvania, or we're somewhere in America. And, and uh, she was making dinner, and she had a seizure. And it's kind of one of those that you see in movies, if you're not familiar with seizures. like a full-blown grandma seizure on the ground, shaking and stuff. Obviously, caused us to very uh, perplexed, for example, is an understatement of how we were feeling at that point. I just like, what is going on? What are, we're not even sure what happens. But we went to the doctor, and the doctor said, well, we often we don't know why people have seizures, but if you have any kind of history of, of some, some sort of brain trauma, like a tapeworm, uh, then that's probably the reason why. And uh, it was pretty devastating, uh, as you can imagine. And we're just sitting there going, oh my gosh, do we, what do we do now? We're in America, but we're supposed to go back to Thailand in a month. Should, should we even go? What should we do? And so as we prayed and talked about it, it kind of felt like, uh, a lot of the doctors were saying, sometimes you only have one, you'll never have another seizure. So we're like, okay, well, maybe let's just pray and just hope that that's what's going on and we'll go back because we didn't really see any reason not to go back. Uh, and so, so we went back, uh, but then two months after we got back to Thailand, my wife had another seizure and it was very devastating because we our hope was really that it would just be one. So we got her medication and those types of things. So she doesn't have seizures all the time. It's like one every two months. And uh, But every time, it's it's... It's, it's enough time to kind of put your guard down, kind of feel like, okay, maybe the medicine's working now. And, and then it happens again. You're like, oh, sort of throws everything into a tailspin. And you're just thinking, what what are we going to do? God, what are you doing? Like, what do you want us to do? So we're totally perplexed in this. Um, I mean, not too long ago, there was a prayer meeting of missionaries and, and Corinne went. And one of the reasons is that they wanted to pray, they wanted to pray for her for healing. And uh, very, I'm very grateful for that. You know, I'm sitting here going, I'm worried, because one of the biggest risks isn't so much the seizure, but when you have the seizure, you could fall, crack your head on something, have permanent injuries from that, so as a father, I'm sitting there going, I don't want my kids to have, uh, be motherless and things like that, so it's always very stressful, and um, so they're going to pray for healing, and so we're driving back from the prayer meeting, and uh, my wife says to me, she goes, you know, I, I really haven't been praying for healing, and I'm like, what, what, are you crazy, like, that's what we want. That's, that's the thing we need to be praying for. So we can serve and we can just have a stress-free life and all of that. And my wife said, no, I, you know, honestly, what I really want is I just want to know what, what Jesus, what are you trying to show me through this? That, that's what I want. And I was just floored. And, I'm, and, and, and completely impressed with my wife, obviously. And, uh, I'm, just, and I'm just, she's this, like, she's, she's just a clay pot, a woman with seizures, trying to love God and trying to serve him as best she can, just wants to, like, Jesus, I just want to know you more. And uh, that's what Paul's talking about. Like, we're not, we're not extraordinary. And I just mean, we, none of us are. We're not extraordinary. But we just fall in love with God and his grace, and we're just trying to do the best we can to, to live that out and show that to other people. And so my wife, you know, she's not despaired. We're still in Thailand, and we're still trying to figure it out. We're going to take some rest coming up soon to we'll come back here in America and just rest and try to see try if there's anything more that we could do medically that would help. And um, So we're not trying to be super crazy about it or anything like that. Like We're hardcore missionaries trying to serve the Lord without any kind of breaks or anything. But But God... He's gracious, and our hope is in him. And that's what Paul's trying to say through these verses. Like, yeah, it's going to be hard. We're going to meet, but God, there's life in that. And there's life in my wife saying that. There's life for me. There's life for her. There's life for everybody else who's watching us serve and seeing that happen. Um, so why? Is it all worth it? Does it come all worth it? What, what's the point of all these stories? And this is how Paul kind of concludes this little passage here is that he says, and all of this is for your benefit. He's talking to the people that he's serving. It's for you. It's for you so that the grace, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow in the glory of God. And this is what we're seeing in Thailand. Like, yes, it's all worth it. It's worth all of you guys praying for me. The time that you spend praying for me and our ministry, the, the, the money that you give through, through your, your, your offerings, uh, the trips that you've taken, is all worth it. It's causing life to happen in Thailand. It's totally worth it. That grace that you so love yourself, and you're just having that natural response. Like, of course we should do something. We gave money, money in Thailand. Of course we should help out a, a medical clinic. Of course we should do something. It's happening. It's, you don't always see it, but there is life there. So be encouraged. May your faith be strengthened. Be encouraged by that. And also take up the challenge. I'm in Thailand, but you're here, right? This, this should be a picture of Houston. Did I get it right? Okay, this is Houston. And I'm, I, I don't know Houston that well, but I'm pretty sure that Houston needs more of God's grace. And how are they gonna get more of God's grace? It's you. It's you just going out and being there, wherever you are. Don't think of your service as that one hour that you go serve at a clinic or a homeless shelter or something. Your whole life is a clay jar where, you're on, where God's glory, God's grace is on display through you. I had no idea that I was witnessing to Amon by not taking his bribe. The whole thing just seemed laughable to me. and I wasn't, I wasn't sitting there going, oh yeah, I know that, I know that, my, me not accepting this bribe, I'm making a stand for Jesus. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't doing that. But the lifestyle, it's totally sharing God's grace and his mercy. And so I challenge you, I encourage you, please continue to do that. Houston needs God's grace. And how does God choose to show God's grace? It's this way. So don't be discouraged by the fact that you don't feel competent, that you don't feel like you're an amazing scholar like Paul. Be encouraged by a missionary who spent 11 years being this and seeing great things happen. Great things will happen in Houston. Great things are happening in Houston. And you can do it. You don't have to be extraordinary. Just be ordinary, all right? And just be totally in love with God and totally willing to just try and serve people and connect with people. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you just... Let's just start off with your grace, Jesus. It's so amazing. There's so much to it. We cannot study it enough. We cannot learn about it enough. It's just, there's so much to it. We just ask, Jesus, that your grace would go deeper and deeper into our hearts, that it would totally transform us and be our foundation for everything that we do. Help us to learn more about your grace so that we can praise and glorify you more. And Jesus, our meager efforts, we are clay pots, our meager efforts, we offer them up to you. And the thing that we know is true about you, take small things and make big things out of them because you're good and you're merciful and that's how you love to work. It's it's baffling, it's amazing, uh, but that's how you do it. So Lord, I just pray for Redeemer Church. I just pray for all these people that are here. And Lord, they are willing to love you and serve you in Houston. And so Lord, we just ask, Lord, take their offering. Take them as clay pots and fill them with your treasure and may it shine throughout Tomball. May it shine throughout Houston. And Lord, may we see, may they be able to tell stories like I'm telling today of where they've seen how you used their clayness to show your glory, to show your mercy to other people. So that many, many people, that thanksgiving, that glory would abound for you, Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.